Good evening to the massive crowd that's here. <laughs> well, I'm grateful for those that are here and that there's even some sitting up pretty close that makes it feel even better. Like, you know, usually people are way back there. So I'm grateful for it. Um, well, I'm glad to be back. We have, like Matt said earlier, we had a, a bit of a break here. Um, I've been gone for several weeks with my dad having health problems and things and um, up in Oregon. So I've been up there for a while uh, helping my mom and dad. Uh, things are going pretty well. He's, he's recovering well. And um, so uh, we're praising God for that, that uh, he's been um, with our family this whole way. And it's just been really good to, to be able to spend time as a family. And all the prayers and support we've received from church family and, and uh, my dad's church family have been really appreciated. So we are, are certainly grateful for that. So it's good to be back and picking up again in, in the book of Malachi. So if you have your Bibles or if you don't have one, there's a Bible in the, in the pew rack in front of you. And you can turn to the book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament. And we will uh, be there tonight. It's been a few weeks, like I said. Um, so, so I want to recap um, where we left off and then continue in chapter 3. That's where we'll be at, if you want to turn there. Uh, we'll continue in chapter 3, starting in verse 13. But I want to start by asking a question uh, just to give some, something to reflect on for a minute uh, it's not necessarily something that I need an answer to, but just something for us to think about. Have you ever been with uh, other people and felt like a particular person was upset with you? Uh, they, they didn't verbalize it, maybe, um, but you get this feeling that things are not what they were in the relationship. Perhaps they seem to avoid you, um, or uh, what few words are exchanged seem to be cold and distant. Uh, then you start to, to wonder, did I do something to offend them? And you start replaying in your mind your last meeting with them and, and all the things you said and all the things they said. And if, that, if there was something there uh, that you might have done that could have offended them, um, what was it? I mean, you go over it in your mind and you're just, just racking your brain about it. Um, but you realize they're definitely distant from you. There's something going on there. Uh, and that's how we are as humans, I think. Um, we can all relate to that scenario. In a way, that's, that's really how Israel was behaving toward God, uh, as we've been seeing through the book of Malachi. They're cold and they're distant. Uh, the difference being, of course, God doesn't have to replay anything in his mind because he never does anything wrong against anyone. He never has to have that sort of replay session in his mind to think, did I, did I do something to offend them? Um, he didn't have to question for a second whether he had done something offensive because, of course, he hasn't. Uh, in fact, if you were in this scenario uh, with God, let's just be honest, you're always wrong. You're the one that's wrong if there's something wrong. It's not because God did something. I think we can all agree with that. Um, and also, there's, there's not just a perceived slight here, but the people uh, were sinning against God, and he called them out. Okay, it's not just a possibility that there was something wrong in the relationship. There was definitely something wrong in the relationship, and it was them. And last time we looked at another in a series of rebukes that God made to Israel through the prophet Malachi, of which all of them have been very serious uh, rebukes. Uh, what we saw God do in the previous section in chapter 3 was to call on the people to return to him. That was a subtle or perhaps not so subtle uh, way of implying that they had departed from him. After all, you don't ask someone to return to you if they haven't departed from you. 
Well, the people were incredulous. Okay? Have, you, have you ever been accused of something that you didn't do, or at least you thought you didn't do, and someone accuses you of it? You tend to react with a quick sort of defensive uh, response, and that's what Israel's response is like to God. What do you mean, return to you? When did I ever leave you? That's, that's sort of how their, their mindset was. And it seems there are two possible reasons for the, the people's response uh, to God's accusation. Either they didn't recognize their behavior as a departure from obedience and right fellowship with God, or they knew they had departed and justified it with their own criticism of God for a perceived slight or injustice on his part. As far as not recognizing their behavior as a departure, I think they probably knew they had departed um, somewhat, but I think they, they convinced themselves that the motions they were going through would cause God to at least be partially pleased with them. In other words, it's, it's not that bad. Uh, at, least I'm not, at least I'm doing some of the things that God wants me to do. Um, I, I think he'll accept what I'm doing. And that is perhaps as far as they would go toward acknowledging a departure from right relationship with God. Then through the prophet Malachi in verse 8, God accused Israel of robbing him. They had departed from him, and now he's accusing them of robbing him. Okay, this is our last session. There's still sort of a catch-up here. Um, And they apparently couldn't see how that was possible because they questioned God's accusation. This was not just a few people. He says in verse 9 of chapter 3, you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. They They had robbed him by not bringing in the tithes and contributions. God had commanded them to, to tithe because this is the way that he provided for the temple service, uh, for, the, for the priesthood and others that didn't receive an inheritance of land. Um, but they weren't doing this thing that God had commanded them. And God follows this with a call to repentance. And that is what he meant by commanding them to return to him. A call for the people to acknowledge their sin and turn from it. Back to him in obedience. He even went so far as to to basically dare them to do the right thing and see how much he would bless them, as that text continues uh, in, in chapter 3 where we were at last time. The people were cursed by God, and their crops were being destroyed by a pest of some kind. Um, God, being sovereign, even over insects, uh, said he would rebuke the devourer, which was the insect. Uh, he said he would bless the people, and in fact, all nations would call them blessed because their land would be a land of delight. But sadly, of the two possible reasons I gave earlier for the people's incredulous response to God, it seems the second possibility is where they were at. I think based on the text, we see a people who are not just oblivious to their sin, but they felt entitled to it. They felt justified in a departure from God. God had not lived up to his end of the covenant, or so they believed. And this is what I think the text for today uh, that we'll look at today, starting verse 13, will expose in greater measure. But let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll get started in the text. Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, for, the, for this night. We thank you for the, the rain that we've had that we need so, so greatly. Uh, Father, we are grateful for an opportunity to be here and open up your word and to hear what you have said, Lord. I pray that we would cling to your word, that you would incline our hearts to it, Lord, that you would teach us through your spirit all that there is to learn from your word. And I pray that there would be a, uh, an ongoing desire of ours throughout our lives, Lord. As we'll see tonight, Lord, a departure from your word is disastrous. 
Uh, and Father, we thank you for it. Help us not to uh, minimize the importance of your word and following you, Father. We thank you for your grace and your mercy in our lives, for your love for us. And we give you praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Malachi chapter 3. Looking at verses 13 through 15, let's go ahead and read those. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Okay? In verse 13, we see three different things. Here we see God's accusation regarding the people's words. We see the target of the people's words. And we see the people's response to the accusation. Okay, verse 13 again. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord, but you say, how have we spoken against you? That was their response to his accusation. Your words have been hard against me, says God. And these are not just complaints about circumstances or, or complaints uh, to God. What the people are doing is speaking hard words against God. Some other translations here say um, the words from the people were stout or harsh uh, or arrogant. You may see that in your, in your translation of the Bible there. Whatever the different renderings of that Hebrew word are, they're all bad. But what is not rendered differently in those different translations is the target of the hard words. The target is God himself. Okay, he is the, the target of their hard words. And as we'll see in a bit, the things the people are saying against God are far beyond just uh, expression of some irritations. Uh, they want, um, you know, it's not just little things that they want God to know about somehow. Uh, they, they've made a judgment against God and acted in accordance with that judgment. That's what's going on with them. We're almost in the, the last chapter of this book, and in all of the first three chapters, there have been accusations from God against the people. In fact, up till now, up till now there have been seven different accusations that God uh, has made against the people. And now near the end of the third chapter, we see the eighth and final accusation. That's where we're at, we're at tonight. Uh, it's this last accusation that God will make. And with all the accusations, there have, there have not been any acknowledgments of wrongdoing on the part of the people. Instead, they refute the accusations as if God were somehow mistaken. And if you've been here through, through this study, you've, you, you remember that and you've seen it. But, but listen to this sort of snapshot of all eight of the responses from the people in these Responses, I think, if you listen to them, you can hear the preceding accusation as well. Okay, so here's these, all eight of these responses throughout the book of Malachi. Now, again, this is how the people responded to the accusation. The first one, how have you loved us? Then, how have we despised your name? How have we defiled you? Why does he not, in regards to accepting their offerings? How have we wearied him? How shall we return? Not because they're looking for a way to return. How have we robbed you? And now tonight, how have we spoken against you? Now what if the people had answered each accusation by beginning like this? Yes, but... 
Not that that would have changed anything that they had done, but what would have been at least a little different had they responded with, yes, but? So that's an open question. What do you guys think? How would that have been different than what, how they did respond? Okay, absolutely. That, had they done that, there would have been at least some acknowledgement that what he was saying was true. But there, there wasn't that. Okay? They, they didn't respond that way. They would have at least had an acknowledgement of sin. Yeah, their response could have been something like that, yes, or even if they didn't know, oh, well, can you explain that to us? We don't want to be doing that, but that wasn't how they responded. Uh, that's not their motivation. They had, they had hard hearts. They, had, um, they didn't have repentant hearts. And so they're, I hear they continue in an attitude of defiance, and, and this might be the worst one yet. Okay? I, I actually think what we see here is, is God finally getting to the real reason that they're doing all of the other things that he's accused them of doing. In other words, this is sort of the root of the problem. Their, their words are hard or harsh or arrogant or stout against God, and they're targeting God by speaking against him. How? And before we get to the how, which is what the people want to know also, that was their response, right? How have we, how are we doing this? But before we get to that how, I want to look at who's, who is uh, receiving these hard words against God. Someone is receiving these hard words against God. Um, and I said God is the target, right? God is, uh, he's the target here in the text, and we can see that, but this is not being done directly to God. No, they, they, have, they haven't been gutsy enough to speak directly to God in such a way. So I have another question then. Generally speaking, what is the human pattern when one person gets angry about what they think another person has done to them? What do we typically do with that anger? Not what we should do, but what do we typically do? Project it somewhere else? Okay. What, meaning what? Okay, so if you're angry at someone else, you, you take it out on somebody different, okay? Any other thoughts on that? The general human response to someone else doing something against you. Well, I think one of the things we can see, is, if we really think about it, is that we talk about them behind their backs to other people. It's pretty common that we, someone does something against us, or even if we perceive that they've done something against us, we don't go to them. <laughs> we go to someone else, you know, perhaps an ally uh, against them. But we like to talk about people behind their backs. Um, in fact, we love to talk to several people about them behind their backs. We like to kind of gather people up against this person. And what does that often result in? But bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, um, not, not good things. Another question, why do we do that? Why do you think we do that? Because we're not 
Okay, we do. We want people on our side. We're gaining allies. We want to be right. Okay? Do we go to other people? I don't think we do this. I don't think we go to other people genuinely wanting counsel from them, you know, sharing our version of the situation and then hoping that they will, you know, evaluate it and give us some good counsel. No, we just want them to believe us. We don't, we don't, they don't even need to know the other side of it. They don't need to know the other person's side of it, right? We like to get people on our side, but, and isn't it really uh, because of what defiles us? That's why we do this. It's because of what defiles us. It's because of the wickedness in our hearts. That's why we respond this way. It's certainly not the biblical uh, response that we should have. Um, And in talking about clean and unclean foods, um, Jesus ended a conversation by making it clear what defiles human beings. And I think that's what we're talking about now. In, in Mark 7, verses 20 through 22, it says, And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. That's a big list. That's what's inside because of sin. Okay? Uh, and that's where all of those things come from. That's where we do, that's why we go to other people and we try to get them on our side and we say things about this other person. That's why we don't handle it the way we should. It's because of, of our sin nature. It's the result of our sin nature. And the prophet Isaiah listed many sins of the people, and I think he described well what we're seeing in Israel again here in Malachi's day. In Isaiah 59, 12, and 13 says, For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities. Transgressing and denying the Lord, and turning back from following our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. That's what was going on here. The people were going to other people with these harsh words against God. They were gossips and backbiters. They were uh, speaking revolt, as Isaiah talked about. They were conceiving, that is, coming up with what they think is going on. They're conceiving. And then moving from merely uh, conceiving to the outward utterance of the lying words they invented in their evil hearts. That's what's going on. Through sin and unbelief, They've led themselves to hate God. When a man's folly brings his ways to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord, Proverbs 19.3. That's what happens to the heart. The heart rages against the Lord. We don't look at our folly and say, that's my folly, that's terrible, Lord, help me. In our folly, we rage against someone else. Like you were talking about earlier, we direct our anger to someone else. In this case, we, we direct it to God. And you see, God becomes the target of man's raging, sinful heart. They didn't find themselves confused by their circumstances and so go to God in prayer and ask, for, ask Him for wisdom. They didn't go to their leaders to be reminded of the word of the Lord. and then No, they, they went and they spread lies. Not that their leaders would have helped them based on what we've seen in Malachi. Now, the leaders were not doing what they should have done either. They were not content to just be carried off themselves. They brought others with them. They didn't assume they were wrong 
and needed God to help them to understand, they became fools. And biblically speaking, you don't want to be there. We don't want to be fools. Proverbs 29.20 says, Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Our words are important. And to be a fool is a terrible thing. But there is more hope for a fool than for one who is hasty in his words. And the people were certainly hasty in their words as they directed uh, their harsh words against God. The people needed leaders, but the leaders, uh, though the leaders were right there with them, the leaders were in the same sins. Okay, the people didn't even recognize they were hungering and thirsting and that what they really needed was the truth about God so they could be satisfied in him. They didn't have it on their own, and they weren't getting it from their leaders. Isaiah spoke about this as well in Isaiah 32.6. For the fool speaks folly, and his heart is busy with iniquity to practice ungodliness, to utter error concerning the Lord, to leave the craving of the hungry unsatisfied, and to deprive the thirsty of drink. So we have looked at the way in which they have spoken against the Lord from one person to another, behind God's back, if that were possible. Uh, Now let's get to the people's question about how. Okay, so they weren't directing their, they weren't turning to God and saying these harsh things to him. They're going to this person over here, this is what I think about God, and they're saying, yeah, we think that about God, and it's just spreading. Okay, Um, verse 13 again. Uh, another part of verse 13. But you say, how have we spoken against you? That's their question after God accuses them through the prophet Malachi. Again, this is an attitude of disagreement with God. It is not that they don't believe they have spoken against God. It is that they believe they have not spoken against God unjustly. Okay, that's, that's important here. And we see, we see examples of this in our own country today. This is the same attitude that we see in relation to the way people are treated throughout this summer, we've seen it on TV, uh, treated by mobs in the street because they don't agree with them. Okay, people begin to behave really like crazed animals. The lie is told long enough that a particular group of people who differ politically, morally, philosophically, or whatever, they're terrible people because of those beliefs. And the mere fact that they believe what they do is deemed to be hatred. Then slowly it becomes okay to threaten them. Then it's okay to damage their property. Then it's okay to injure them because of what they believe. And then it moves to being okay that they would be killed because merely what they believe is deemed to be harmful. And you see the mob doing violence would not say they didn't do violence, but the inner belief is that they were justified in doing so because those were bad people. Their ideas were bad. It's a dangerous, but it's not a new trend. This has gone on throughout history. You know, you tell a bunch of lies, you convince a large group of people that another group of people are terrible and worthless and not even human, and it becomes pretty soon it becomes okay to kill them. Okay, we've seen that throughout human history. Now, the people in Malachi's day are—they're deep into this sin. Let's move into the next verse to see how this is exactly what's going on. Verse 14 of chapter 3 of Malachi. You have said, 
it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? Okay, so the question was, how have we been speaking hard words against you? Here's the answer. You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? So the people in their sinfully conceived ideas have determined three things. It is vain to serve God. There's no profit in keeping his charge. And there's no profit in walking as in mourning before the Lord. And the word Malachi used here for, for vain has the idea of emptiness or even falseness. And some translations have used the word useless there to describe what the people had determined about serving God, that it's useless, empty. They had determined that it was vain to serve or be obedient to God. Remember, these are not foreign people. They're not pagan worshipers who don't know anything about God. These are supposed to be the people of God. And they said there was no profit for them to keep his charge. To keep his charge in this context really means to, to walk in accordance with all of God's commandments. To walk in obedience to all he had commanded regarding his covenant people. Then we see that the people had actually been going through the motions of appearing to be sorrowful over their sin. They said there is also no profit of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts. That statement shows that the supposed mourning they were doing, perhaps putting on sackcloth and ashes, uh, it shows that it wasn't genuine. What they were looking for was some sort of benefit or profit from doing these things, as if God owed them something. They did not have sadness in their hearts over their sin. They wanted to do outward things to be religious before God with the goal of getting something from him. And they wrongly supposed that because God didn't bless them, or at least they didn't believe he blessed them, that God was wrong and not them. God is not, however, after an outward show. It's always been about human hearts. Old Testament, New Testament, it's always been about human hearts. In talking about sin and the coming day of the Lord, the prophet Joel pointed out the distinction between the tearing of garments, which is an outward deed, uh, and the tearing of your heart, which is an inward response to sin. In Joel 2, verses 12 and 13, says, Yet even now declares the Lord, Return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. You see, God wants a heart that is rent or torn over sin. Not, he doesn't want circumcised flesh, but a circumcised heart. We see that in the scripture also. It's not about this outward deed or show. The people had hardened hearts, however. And that's what God's going after. Why? Why do they have hardened hearts? 
I think verse 15 gives us the reason why they had hardened hearts. Verse 15 says, And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. You can see it right there. The reason they got to where they are in their thinking and belief about God is because of what they perceived um, happening with those unbelievers who outright flaunt their disobedience and still seem to have it so good. Those arrogant unbelievers are the blessed ones. Those openly doing evil are the ones who prosper. And not only that, but they are also right, they're right in God's face. And God doesn't do a thing about it. What about all that talk about evil being punished? They do not get punished. You think that's a thought that comes up in our society today? Even in the lives of Christians, maybe especially Christians who suffer for their faith in Christ, who see some of the worst evils, and yet it seems like those people just have everything. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's always been a reality, I think. And it's because of that 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 they concluded that what they had been doing to follow God in obedience was useless. There was no benefit if they had to suffer for doing good, and the, the evildoer could do anything he wanted and have it all. That's what it appeared like to them, that that those who don't even claim to follow God, they do all the worst things that God is totally against, and they just keep going. They have what they want, they have everything they need, they prosper, they they have children, uh, and no no evil comes on them, no, no judgment comes on them. Okay, and in their minds, they as they go over this, they begin to believe this lie about God. And really, they had made God a liar. Because God said the opposite, right? He, he talked about the, the punishment that would come upon evildoers. And they don't see it happening in the time frame they think it should happen, and therefore, God must have lied. Therefore, in reality, you know, I should just sin all I want. But none of God's commands are wrong. None of his promises had or ever would fail. But the people had abandoned the word of God and no longer were grounded in the truth according to faith. They let what their eyes saw and their hearts felt determine what they believed to be true. So now doing evil is clearly the better way to live. So then they're, what's the result? They're just going through motions. It's lip service, um, and it's, it's contagious. These harsh words against God as they go from one of God's children to the next one to the next one, and they're all talking about this. They're all sharing these hard words against God, but nobody's actually going to God. What should the people have done when faced with this situation? Let's say all this stuff is they're seeing. They're seeing all the evil. They're seeing people supposedly prospering who are evil people. What should they have done when faced with that situation? What should we do when faced with that situation? 
you think? How do we protect ourselves from believing a lie that God won't punish evil? Clearly, he's not doing it, so he won't do it. How do we protect ourselves from believing that? It's so easy to believe that. What's that? The word, the word of God. Um, We can read the word of God and we can see all through the scriptures that there is judgment coming. Okay, the question is, do we believe it? Because I don't see it happening to somebody, does that mean it's untrue? No, it doesn't mean it's untrue. It's happening and it's going to happen in God's timing. We don't know what that is. Okay, Uh, to to wrap this up tonight, I wanted us to, to turn to a passage in the Psalms that I think gives us all of this in one passage. It, it gives us what the people were feeling and thinking and behaving like, and it gives us an example of how they should have come around and responded properly. And this is, it's a long segment, but it's, it's so good for us to hear. Yeah. And God's offer of restoration to repentant sinners is still open today. So this is so much it has so much value for us today uh, in our time as well as it did several thousand years ago when it was written. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, take them and turn to Psalm 73. And I want to read the whole psalm just to, to finish things out tonight. And really want you to, to think about what's, what we're reading and, and what's going on here. Okay, so we're going to read Psalm 73, and think about it in light of the Malachi passage that we went through tonight. Okay, a psalm of Asaph. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out of their fatness, swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes, 
O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works." You see how that passage describes almost the whole book of Malachi and what the people were doing. They had they'd been deceived by what their eyes saw and what they perceived was prospering among unbelievers and people who were doing evil. And they were thinking, why should I follow the Lord and do all this? The Lord said I would be blessed, but they're blessed. And for us today, we don't want to fall into that trap. And the way we do that is by remaining in the Word of God. And then we learn in there that God's promises, His blessing, uh, His riches, all those things really aren't, it's not meant for us to understand that as what we'll receive here on earth. Now, does God bless us with, with money and with things like that? Absolutely. But we don't put our hope in what we receive now and here. Our hope is an eternal hope. And we need to have an eternal perspective. Because we don't know when God, when, we don't know when Christ is coming back. We don't know when judgment day is coming. But for those that are in Christ, we don't fear judgment day like unbelievers. And we have an eternity to spend with, with our Savior. Um, through repentance and faith in Christ, we can be free from the fear of death. And so we have to be careful even in our day about looking at what we see and, and determining that that's prosperity because it's money or health or um, you know, position or whatever it might be. And then we look at our own lives and maybe we have a disease or we have less funds than we think we should have or, or maybe I struggle with... Um, just ongoing sin in my life or um, maybe somewhere there's we know somewhere there's Christians that are persecuted all over the world for their faith they don't have even a fraction of what we have and they they have their faith and all they get for it is punishment what seems to be punishment right from human beings but the scripture tells us to persevere the scripture tells us to endure and that God will strengthen us he will give us the endurance we need so don't let what you see out there deceive you into thinking that it's of no value to serve the Lord and to be obedient to God because that's the trap that the Israelites did and Malachi fell into in Malachi's day. Okay, and it's not a good thing to fall into. Our promises from God are eternal promises. If he blesses us with even a fraction of anything here on this earth, it's only grace. It's complete grace, nothing we deserve. But we want to give praise to him for, for everything. Okay, and trust him. Continue to trust him. So I encourage you to stay in the word and to learn it 
Study it so that you're not bombarded and, and tricked by maybe smooth words of other people that say, why are you following that God? You, it seems like you only have trouble. You know, our response uh, is, to, is to be talking about the gospel, is to be talking about Christ and our eternal hope of salvation. Okay, so that's what I'm, how I would encourage you tonight. And, and so our passage in Malachi there in chapter 3, I want to remind you that, that repentance and faith in the one true God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is what is needed. And we saw there, and this isn't the first time in that Malachi passage, that God is talking about repentance. He's talking about those who will, who will turn to him, come back to him. It's all about repentance, and we've seen it several times in Malachi. Um, and then we'll see going forward, there's still a little bit more of that to come. This is the last of the accusations that we'll see. And God's going to be talking about judgment again here as well uh, as we finish up Malachi. So I encourage you to come back and continue to, to study with us here. I appreciate everybody being here tonight. And let's close in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that you are such a gracious and merciful God. And Lord, I pray you would help us to cling to your word, to the truth. Everything else out there, Lord, is not the truth. What our eyes see and, and what our deceitful hearts try to tell us is not the truth. Lord, I pray that we would rely completely on your word. Lord, that you would increase our faith, that you would give us wisdom and understanding more knowledge about Christ. And Father, that our words and our deeds would send a message to those that were around that we trust you and we'll, we'll follow you no matter what our circumstances. Lord, that our, our joy in life as Christians is not based on our circumstances. Our joy in life is based on the fact that you saved wretched sinners like us through the death of Christ. We thank you for that. We praise you for it, God. Incline our hearts to you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.